was in the small village of Galilee. There was an absolute electric feel in the air. Just like when something so big is going on, you anticipate it, you can, you can actually feel it. There was such a buzz going on because Jesus was in town. And Jesus had been taking time in Galilee and he had been going around and he'd been preaching the word of God. He'd been reading the scriptures and explaining the scriptures to people and it began to click. Light bulbs were going on. People understood. They never heard somebody speak like this before, but it wasn't just him. There was a whole movement that was beginning to happen. It was Jesus and his disciples. They were following him. And there's Jesus' cousin, John, who is also speaking about God. And he's got disciples that are following him. And there is an excitement and a buzz that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, you add some miracles into the factor. Where there are people who have been sick all of their lives, and Jesus prays for them And they're not sick anymore. They're not blind anymore. They're not lame anymore. Everybody in Galilee is talking about this. Right before there was social media, you didn't need social media. Because every child was talking about what they heard had happened to somebody that they knew. Every adult is talking about it. Yeah, I know that guy who was healed. I know his family. Everybody is talking about it. So no matter what class you might have found yourself in, if you were poor, you were desperate to go see him. If you were powerful, like Herod, you were getting nervous because his popularity, this guy Jesus, and those who followed him all of a sudden were way overshadowing your power. So Herod has John the Baptist arrested. And he doesn't just have him arrested, he has him beheaded. And he doesn't just have him beheaded, but like it's right out of the scene of of some film today, he has him beheaded and then serves it up on a platter to the woman that he loves as a sign of his power. Word of this is spreading, and word gets back to Jesus. Jesus loved John. That was his cousin. That's the guy who baptized him. When he finds out he's been imprisoned and he's been beheaded, in such a horrible way, just like any of us. He's got to take a moment. I mean, how do you handle something like that when you get that call that you never want to get? When somebody says, I've I've got to tell you something, you need to sit down. Jesus had one of those moments. And even though he's fully God, he's still fully human. And I'm sure that the, the emotions just overwhelmed Jesus. But there's a problem. Everybody's following Jesus because they all want to see what he's going to do next. And they all want to hear what he's going to have to say next. And you can just imagine that every mama who's got a sick child says, I'm going to get this baby to Jesus. You better believe it. Every, every parent who's raised a kid who's, who's never been able to see or walk says, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get to Jesus. We see people that dig through the ceiling, right, to get their friend to Jesus, that scream out loud, Jesus, have mercy on me. Whatever we've got to do to get to Jesus, I'm going to get there. So Jesus is just surrounded everywhere he goes. When one of the disciples comes up and whispers in his ear, hey, I've got to tell you something about your cousin John. And his heart breaks. So what, what's he going to do? 
he comes up with a good solution. He says, man, let's get in the boat where nobody can follow us and let's just go across the lake over there to the middle of nowhere. And let me just have a minute. So they get in the boat. And I can just imagine Jesus laying down and being comforted by his father as the disciples row their way across the Sea of Galilee. They're going across the Sea of Galilee, but it doesn't stop the people. They're not going with bad motives. They may not have even known what Jesus... They didn't know what Jesus was going through at the moment. They didn't know that he had just heard about his cousin. So everybody, they want to hear what he's going to say, and they want to see what he's going to do, and maybe they could even be a part of it. So they see that he gets in the boat, and they see that he's heading way across there. So they all start following. They all start walking around the Sea of Galilee, trying to figure out where he's going. When I say all, I don't want you to picture a room like this. Because later we see in the account, there's 5,000 men. They only counted men for whatever reason in that culture at the time. 5,000 men there. So if you throw in the women and children as well, there could have easily been ten to 20,000 people who are now walking around the Sea of Galilee trying to figure out where that boat is going to go. Well, the boat finally reaches land over on the other side, and Jesus finds a rock that he can climb up on where he can just have a moment, and he can continue to let the Holy Spirit minister to him. He's way out there, and this crowd is continuing to follow him. Now, we don't necessarily know who was in the crowd. We do know of one boy, though, that is noted in this account. We know that he's one of the people who followed Jesus because he wanted to hear what he had to say. We don't know how old he was, but I'm just picturing 13 in my head for the sake of context because I've got some boys around that age and I can just imagine the curiosity and excitement that they would have at the possibility of hearing and seeing Jesus. So that morning when this young man woke up, he says, Mom, i got to go see what's happening. Everybody's talking about going to see this guy, Jesus. And so she says, okay, you know, and he's off for the day. And like any good 13-year-old boy, even though he's really curious, he's probably also got an appetite that's pretty big. So before he leaves, he grabs a bag and he throws some food in that bag. Either that or he's got a really good mama who says, wait, mijo, before you go, let, let, me get, let me give you a bag, you know. And she throws in some food and says, be careful, you know, I want you home before dark. Take some food with you. So he takes his lunch. And this young man is one of these ten to 20,000 people who are now walking across this lake because they want to hear what Jesus has to say. So he's in this crowd of people. And you can just imagine... As Jesus is sitting up on that rock and he's praying for a good ways off, he would have heard the murmur of the people that are coming. 10 to 20,000 people walking your way. You're going to see the dust. You're going to hear the footsteps walking towards you. And here they come. And the disciples see there is just a river of people that are walking their way. And Jesus realizes, we're out in the middle of nowhere. We've crossed around the Sea of Galilee. The sun's going to be down in 30 minutes. What, what, I feel responsible 
for all these people who have followed us over here. Now they're going to be without a place to go. They're going to be without anything to eat. We see in John chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd followed, following him wherever he went, because they saw the miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed the hill and sat down with the disciples around him. It was nearly the time of Jewish Passover. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy over there. This kid, remember? There's a young boy over there with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that for a crowd like this? Ten to 20,000 people. And you've got a middle school student over there with his lunch bag, right? And even the disciples see, what good is that going to do us? We got one kid with a sack lunch. Most of you are familiar with this story. If you've grown up in church or even if you haven't grown up in church, the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. It's a common story, but I want you today to look at it from a new perspective. I want to try to help you today see it from the perspective of a 13-year-old boy with a sack lunch. I want you to be able to see through his eyes. The disciples have enough common sense to realize this bag is not going to make a dent in all of these people. We can't even see the end of the people. Right? It's not going to do any good. And so if it made sense to the disciples, surely it made sense to the 13-year-old boy, right? What? You want my lunch so that you can feed these people? That's not going to do you any good. I mean, I got a taco. I got some Fritos. And I got a granola bar. Right? I got a few pieces of bread. And I've got some, some fish here. What good is that going? What good is this going to do for 10 to 20,000 people? Right? Surely that, that 13 year old boy had enough common sense to go, that just doesn't make sense to me. Now, listen, we've got some of the greatest kids in all of San Antonio. I truly believe that right here at Rock Hills. And we also have some of the greatest donuts in all of San Antonio right here at Rock Hills. But I guarantee you, if you show up next Sunday morning, And you go up to one of those kids and say, listen, I need you to give me your donut so that I can feed everybody in the entire neighborhood, right? That kid's just going to look at you like you're crazy and then stuff it in their mouth as fast as they can, (laughs) right? They're, They're going to realize that is not going to work. Not only is it not going to work, but a child understands this. And let's face it, as adults, we understand this too. See the name on this bag? This is mine. This is my lunch, right? I got up extra early so I could pack it. Or my mom made this for me. You know, keep your hands off of my lunch. What's in this bag is mine. I packed it. I made it. I worked for it. 
I worked hard to get it. I made it. I own it. And if I have to, I'll lick it just to keep you away from it. Right? The rest of the story in verse 10 through 13. Jesus says, tell everybody to sit down, Jesus said. So they sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God and distributed it to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish. And they ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with the scraps that the people had eaten from the five barley loaves. Now this kid who's carrying this sack lunch, do you think that that kid was ever the same again? Do you think that that kid didn't have a story to tell the rest of his life? You know, I think, I think he went home and framed the lunch bag over the fireplace, right? For the rest of his life, right? For the rest of his middle school years, he's telling everybody the story over and over. Yeah, this dude came up, he asked me for my lunch, and then they started giving it out, and then there was all this food left over, right? And as he's an adult, no matter what village he goes to around Galilee, everybody's like, you're the dude, right? You're that guy when you were a kid, they ask you for your lunch at 5,000 people. Everybody knew who this kid was after that point. This man grew up and told his grandkids about the day that he gave his lunch to Jesus. And his grandkids grew up and told their grandkids, that was my grandfather. That was your great, great grandfather that did that for the rest of this boy's life and beyond. His life was changed because he trusted Jesus with what he had and then he saw God do the impossible. Listen, I've given each one of you a lunch bag today. It's under your seat. If it's not under the direct seat you're in, there's one real close to you. So every single one of you have a lunch bag and there's some goodies in that bag Uh, it's either Smarties or Dum Dums. Don't take offense. You get what you get. And I didn't know where you were going to sit, so don't be offended about it, all right? And then you've also got a piece of paper that I'll explain more about in just a moment. But what really matters about what is in your bag is nothing that you can actually see in there. There's three important elements that really represent about what is in that bag. It's the lunch. It's what's unique to you, what you packed in your lunch. There are three things that are truly in that bag, and that's this. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. And every single one of you in this room, you've got time, you've got talent, and you've got treasure. And that is what is in the bag that you take with you wherever you go. As you're pursuing Jesus You've got time, you've got talent, you've got treasure. As you're going to school, as you're going to work, you've got time, you've got talent, you've got treasure. What can God do with what we surrender to Him? Now, in the natural, it's not going to seem like much, right? In the natural, this taco will not feed thousands of people. In the natural, your time, Your talent and the treasure that you have, you may go, what difference 
is that really going to make? But you see, God determines the outcome. When we say, God, you can have whatever I've got to give. It may not be much, but God, it's yours. When we put it in his hands, he can do the impossible. So my question for you today is, what are you giving your time to? What are you giving your talent to? What are you giving your treasure to? In the case of this boy, it was pretty clear. You know, give the disciples your drive through Happy Meal and let God take care of it. But what about us? It's a little more abstract when we talk about our time, our talent, and our treasure. There will be specific opportunities for your life that I will never have. The person sitting next to you will never have. But God will give you to use your time, your talent, and your treasure to make a difference in someone's life. I don't know what those are specifically for you, but I can tell you in the big picture what we are to give our time, our talent, and our treasure to because the gospel makes it very clear. First of all, there's the great commandment. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40 says this, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So the great commandment is love God and love your neighbor. We can also see that we're supposed to give our time, talent, and treasure to the great commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said to his disciples, I have already given all authority in heaven and earth and therefore... Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're to love God, we're to love our neighbors, and we are to go and make disciples. In other words, we're to live it, and then we're to give it back out. As a church... This is what God has called us to do, to love Him, to love others, to make disciples. You as an individual, as a believer, this is what God has called you to do, to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. It is God's will for our church. It is God's will for your life. That is what God has called us to do with what He has given us, what we have in our lunch sack, our time, our talent, and our treasure is so that we can go make disciples, so that we can love God and love others. But here's where we struggle with that concept, the same place the boy could have easily struggled. As we try to love God, love others, and make disciples, we can look at what we've got and go, this is mine, right? It's my time. I mean, you don't understand how busy I am, right? Everybody says that. I mean, I was talking with a college student a while back who was doing absolutely nothing. I'm like, hey, man, what have you been up to? Man, I've been real busy lately. What have you been doing? Oh, nothing. (laughs) But he's really busy, so busy he can't do anything else besides nothing, you know? We're all busy, and we can all look at our time and go, this is my time, and I don't have much of it. So I really can't share it. And this is my talent. I worked really hard for this. I went to school. I got a degree. I've practiced and practiced and practiced. You know, my time and my talent are really valuable. 
And this is my treasure, right? And this is where people cringe a little bit, right? I mean, here's four bucks right here. This is my treasure. And if we start talking about your money at church, then that's when it gets a little bit hard because this really is mine, right? I mean, I worked. I have a job. I've worked hard to get a raise and I've worked hard at the company or I've saved what I've worked hard for this and this right here, that's mine. And it's not much, but it's mine. It's just a little bit of food. It's just a little bit of time. It's just a little bit of treasure, but it's, it's mine, right? And we may not come out and say that, but inside that's where a lot of us struggle, just like that boy would have struggled. I mean, you're asking me for my food, but really, I mean, what's really going to happen if I give you my handful of fish and bread? That would have been a struggle for him to let go of. And as we look at our time, as we look at our talent and we look at our treasure, it's hard to let go of. And it's easy to say, you know, the church is just about money. There goes Adam. And it's not just about money. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And God knows how easily our heart can get entangled in our treasure or our time or our talent. You see, really, we're supposed to be stewards. And steward is a word meaning it's not mine anyway, but I manage it for you. In other words, when I look at the time that God has given me, I've got to say, God, it's only because of your grace and your mercy that I have this time. And when I look at the talent that God's given me, I have to say, if it wasn't for God's grace, I wouldn't be able to do any of this all the time. All the talent that I have is because God gave it to me in the first place. And when I look at my treasure, what God has given me, and that's not just limited to the green stuff, but the things that we hold on to in our lives. But when I look at my treasure, I have to say, but God, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have any of this. I wouldn't have the job that I have. I wouldn't have the opportunities that I have. God, it's all because of you anyway. So if this is yours, then really, God, I'm just the manager. I'm just the steward of this, and I want to take care of it the very best I can. But God, it's yours to do whatever you want with. My time, my talent, my treasure, my loaves and fish, God, they are yours. Would you do something incredible with what I let go of to you. The cool thing, and sometimes when you read the scripture, you, you can see things you like, man, I didn't even realize that before. But you got to think about that boy ended up being able to eat more than he brought in the first place. Right? He gave God everything that he had, and then everybody ate, it says, until they were full, and they collected 12 baskets of leftovers from one small sack in other words, that boy gave a couple of handfuls of food and he like, it just kept coming and coming and coming and he got to eat all that he wanted. It's where we hear these haunting words of Jesus as we're challenged with our flesh that says, it's mine. I want to be in control of it. Matthew sixteen twenty four says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, in other words, die to yourself, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you give up your lunch for my sake, you will have even more. 
lunch. If you give up your time, your talent, and your treasure for my sake, you will find out what your time, your talent, and your treasure were really all about to begin with. And what would it benefit you if you gained the whole world and yet lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You see this young boy, he could have said, mm-mm, mm-mm, get away from me, and went and stood behind the big guy that was following them, you know, and tried to hide and said, this is my lunch. And what would he have missed out on? He would have had a good snack, but he would have missed out on so much more. So how do we do this? How do we love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves and make disciples? I think the first step that we do is we say, God, it's all yours. My time, my talent, my treasure, it's all yours. Would you use it for your kingdom and your glory? I've heard this said before, and I think it's a great statement. A great commitment, uh, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will make a great church. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will make a great church. So us, we're in this series called This Is Us. So us as a church, here's what we're committed to. We're committed to helping you find and follow Jesus with all of your heart. And then we want to help you help others find and follow Jesus with all of their hearts. That's what we want to do. That's what we take the time, the talent, the treasure, and focus it all in and say, this is what we want to do. We want to help you find and follow Jesus. We want to do that in our homes. We want to do that in our church. We want to do that in our community, and we want to do that around the world. We want to be wise with every opportunity that God gives us, whether that's here on a Sunday morning, whether that's out in the workplace during the week, or when we're able to go to Honduras or around the world during the summer. We want to take every opportunity we can to do that. You see, we all have a mission. We have a calling. And as a church, we have a calling. And we have to remember that our calling is never, ever about us. Because when the church becomes about my time, my talent, my treasure, it's about me. When we become a church with that atmosphere, it's the beginning of the end. You see, when we become a church that our sole mission is just to make the members of the church happy, that's the beginning of the end. Our mission as a church, rather than looking in a mirror, we have to look out of a window. They're similar. They're both pieces of glass, but they see in two different directions. Rock Hills Church, we want to look out of a window and say, what can we do to help them find and follow Jesus? How can we use our time, our talent, our treasure to say, God, it's yours, and we want to help others find and follow Jesus? I want to share with you just something that's been on my heart here lately. I know part of the foundation of our church has been reaching out to people, people who can never pay us back, but that's not the reason that we do it. People who may never come to the, through the doors of Rock Hills Church, but that's not why we do it. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's been part of the foundation of our church to reach out to others. And I want you to know from my heart, I want that to be a strong part of our foundation moving forward as well. That part of what we are known for as a church is that we reach out to others. And we want to make a difference in our community. I want that to be part of our heartbeat. I want to see our church become a thriving influence 
in our community, in our city, where we're a source of hope. And I got to tell you, Hebner Elementary has been wonderful. They have a very good relationship with us. As a matter of fact, thank you guys for your giving. We are going to bless them with a uh, meal here this week just to say, hey, we're praying for you guys as students come back. And uh, we just want to encourage you. So we're going to be able to do that this week. We've had a great relationship with them. But in order for us to reach our community, at some point, we've got to say, you know what? We're ready to take a step of faith. We're ready to have a home. We want to do everything that we can to reach our community. I'm praying that we can find a place at some point where we can connect with others, build authentic friendships, build our faith, faith, see people through the valleys and peaks of life, can be a source of creativity, love, and answers to the issues that people are facing. But... I've got good and bad news for you as I talk about where we are and a little bit of where we want to be. The good news is there is absolutely no limit to what God can do through our church with what we have when we're willing to say, God, it's yours. You can take my fish and loaves and use it to your glory. You can take my time, my talent, and my treasure and use it to your glory There is no limit to what God can do through your life personally, and there's no limit to what God can do through us as a church. I would even dare to say it's much, much bigger than you could come up with in your head. I mean, that young boy, he could say, okay, well, maybe, you know, a dozen people could eat if they shared this. No, Jesus had much bigger plans than that. And here's the cool thing. Here's another thing that popped up to me when I was studying this this week. Jesus said as he saw the people coming, he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knows what he wants to do with your time, how he wants to multiply it with your talent, with your treasure. If you will say, God, it's yours. He already knows how he wants to use it and multiply it. So the good news is there's no limit on what God can do through you and through us when we trust God with what is in our lunch sack. The bad news is, for many of us, it's still in our lunch sack, right? We're still holding on to the sack and saying, it's mine. Statistically, across the board, and it's probably fairly true, fairly accurate here at Rock Hills, 20% of the people will do 80% of the serving. 20% of the people will do 80% of the outreach. 20% of the people will do 80% of the giving. And leave it all up to the rest of the people. The other 80% of us go, yeah, I hope we make it. I'll put a little tip in. Or maybe I can help out a little once in a while here and there. Where God's really saying, would you trust me with everything that's in your sack? Now in your sack, there's also a list of volunteer needs that we have here at Rock Hills. Now I don't want to say the way that we use our time and talent and treasure is just limited to what happens here on Sunday morning because it's a lot bigger than that. But this is one great way that you can begin to make a difference. So I want to highlight for you just real quick just a few of the most important areas in our entire church. First of all, I think I would say the most important area that we have here as a church is our children's ministry and our student ministry. And here's why I say that. Because if a child can know Jesus before they end up finishing high school. It will set them on a course for the rest of their lives. So I think that's the most important ministry we have here at Rock Hills. Also, the most important ministry that we have here at Rock Hills is our 
worship team and our production that makes everything that you see and hear happen here on Sunday morning. Because without them, we wouldn't be able to create this atmosphere where every week you can come and lay your burdens down at the feet of Jesus and you can experience this incredible moment of worship. So our worship and production teams are the most important ministry we have here at Rock Hills. Also, our most important ministry that we have here at Rock Hills is our first impressions team out there and our brew crew that prepares coffee and snacks for you guys every week. Because if it isn't for them, you know what they say? Within the first five minutes of stepping onto a church parking lot, people have already made up their mind whether they're ever going to come back again or not. So if it wasn't for our first impressions team and our brew crew hospitality team, I don't know where we'd be. They're the most important ministry here at our church. Also, the most important ministry that we have here at Rock Hills are the people who come every week and set all of this up and take all of it down, our set-up and tear-down team. Because if we didn't have them, we couldn't do any of this. Set up chairs each week. This doesn't just magically happen. The school doesn't set this up for us. We've got a team of people that come in once a month. They rotate so that they can do that. They're the most important team that we have here at Rock Hills. Another most important team that we have here at Rock Hills are our rock groups, places where people can meet, whether that's going to the movies together or coming together in homes where they can pray for each other, sitting down at a coffee shop and having Bible studies together. We've got several different types of groups, but without places for people to connect and grow and be discipled, we're never going to be able to do what we're truly called to do because it's not limited to Sunday morning. So Those people are the most important volunteers that we have here at Rock Hills. So I hope you're getting the point that every area that we have listed on that card is the most important thing that we can be doing because we want to help people to find Jesus. We want to help people to follow Jesus. The truth is, in order for us to become the church that God has called us to be, in order for us to reach our city, hopefully reach your neighbors and your family, We all have to say, God, my time, my talent, and my treasure is yours. For many of you, that might be doing something here in the church. For some of you, it might be doing something here in the church and doing something in the community. I don't know what's in your lunch bag. I don't know what it is that God is calling you to. But I know you've all got time. I know you've all got talent. And I know you've all got treasure that God wants you to say, God, it's yours. And I surrender it to you. Now, I will throw a disclaimer in here, especially since I mentioned money. I will say this. Don't ever, ever, ever feel like you have to give of your time, your talent, or your treasure because you feel manipulated or because you feel guilted. That's never the heart of God. The heart of God is we give our time, our talent, our treasure because we say, God, I want to worship you with everything that you've given me. God, it's yours. And I am just a steward of it. Now, we give because we love God, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable and and not stretch us in our comfort zones. Because when you give of your time to people, it can be exhausting. When you give of your talent to people, sometimes you might feel like you're being used. And when you give of your treasure, you you may be thinking, okay, God, here's my tithe, but I don't know how I'm going to pay what's coming up. So it's not going to be easy easy, but we give because we love and because we believe God can use our lives to make a difference. God could take my one lunch sack and feed 10 to 20,000 people.
people with it. This boy trusted God. John 15, 12, and 13 says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for their friends. So I want to challenge you today. Out of our love for God, because we love you, because we want to see Rock Hills become a thriving church, we want to see the kingdom of God grow. I want to see you living a life that you will tell your grandkids about and your grandkids will talk about to their grandkids about how you trusted God. If this is your church home or if God is just challenging you, what is it that you're doing with your time, with your talent, and with your treasure? What are you doing with what is in your lunch sack? I will be honest with you and say, we're not where we should be as far as our volunteers, as far as our outreach, as far as our giving. We've got enough to get by on all of those things. But we don't have enough to take it to the next level of where God wants us to go. So that's why I say, if this is your church home, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to look over that list and say, if I'm not serving, where should I be serving? Or is there something that I should be doing? I hope there's something on that list that it could apply to all of you. And many of them are just one time a month. Where is it that you could give to help us to reach more people, helping them to find and follow Jesus? What could you be involved in to help us take that next step with your time and your talent and then also with your treasure? And that's between you and God. Are you where you should be in saying, God, I trust you? Reminds me of the woman who gave two mites. You know, this isn't much. But when I trust God based on what he says, rather than just a tip here or there, then that's when the doors of blessing open up. We see that in that woman's life. We see it as we trust God with our time, our talent, and our treasure. So my challenge to you is that you would ask God, that you would ask God, what are you to do with what he has given you? And then I also want to challenge you to have a strong bias towards what is possible. God, if I trust you with my time, my talent, my treasure, I believe that you could take my one sack lunch, you could feed 20,000 people. If that's your will, Father, let it be done. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here today. Father, I pray that you would speak to every one of our hearts. Lord, that you would put a vision and desire in our hearts for who you have called us to be. That it wouldn't be limited to what fits inside a bag, but Father, it would be unlimited to your vision and your potential, Father. That we would have a great bias towards what you can do in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and right here at Rock Hills Church, Father. That we would have a bias towards what you can do. Father, I thank you that you know every one of us personally. Lord, that you desire to use our specific gifts and talents and wiring and personality for your glory and your kingdom. Father, show us how we can make a difference. Show us how we can serve. Father, show us how we can contribute what you have given us to the kingdom of God. If you're here today and you may be saying, I just need to take the first step and trust God with my life, I just want you in your own words and out of your own heart just to surrender your life to Christ and begin that journey with Him. And it can be a very simple prayer from your heart. It's not about these words, but it's about your heart surrendering. You could simply say, Father, I surrender all that I am to you. I lay down my life and I want to take up your life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me on the cross that I could be made anew 
creation. Father, thank you for welcoming me to your family. And I pray, Lord, that you would use everything I've got in my sack to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.